There's no business like Trow, business like no business we know. Everything about the show's appealing. Listen and enjoy this blissful feeling. Nowhere could you get so much information than if you were standing on Miracle Mile. There's no business like Trow, business. Now, on to our show. And welcome our host, a man with a face for radio, Mark Trowbridge. Man, I still love that theme song each and every time we have one of our podcasts. And speaking of that, I'm sorry we've been away for a little while, but we took the summer off lollygagging, sleeping under my desk, and, you know, exploring all things local. I'm Mark Trowbridge. Great to have you here on this episode of TroBiz. And we have something very special in store for you. But we'll begin our program where we always begin, and that is with our Tro lines. And that includes things at the national level all the way down to the city level. So in national news, we know that uh, President Biden has created a mandate for businesses over 100 employees requiring their employees to be vaccinated. Now, that's an interesting move, given that many of the businesses, if not the majority in Miami-Dade and certainly in Coral Gables are under 100 employees. So we're going to have to see how that works going forward. But at this point, we have some direction from the federal government. We'll see how that plays out with the Department of Labor and ultimately how that trickles down into our local community. But uh, stay tuned on that. More to come. At the state level, well, the new minimum wage from $8.56 to $10 goes into effect September 30th. So if you have hourly employees, you want to make sure that you are ready for this change. And then over the next five years, it will increase $1 a year going from uh, 2022 up to 2026 and up to $15. So the first big jump is now at $1.44. So make sure you and your employees are on the same page, you and your payroll company or whoever does your timesheets, time cards, and paychecks. At the regional level, where we're talking a lot about vaccination rates, it's been a couple of weeks of real difficulty related to the Delta variant. And you can imagine that that's caused even our chamber to put a pause in our annual conference back in August, as well as pivoting back to hybrid events, minimally attended events and capacity, and of course, virtual events. But we need everybody to continue to go out and get the vaccine. We're working on a campaign with our county mayor on that issue right now. And so always proud to partner with Mayor Levine Cava on an I Did It campaign, trying to get those numbers up so that we can create not only herd immunity, but folks can get back to work, get back to their offices, and not have to worry about the person next to them being vaccinated or not wearing a mask. Speaking of masks at the county level, our school board, along with those around the South Florida area, have been pushing back on the governor's stance that masks should not be mandated, but should be a personal decision of students going back to school. Now, we've been back in school now about three to four weeks, and as you can imagine, it's been a challenge, some court challenges, some challenges with school boards, governor has threatened to reduce salaries and to cut funding if they go against his mandate and against his executive order. But we as a chamber want to continue to encourage folks to get vaccinated and make the healthiest, best decisions for themselves, their families, and of course, the people that you interact with in your business. 
Finally, well, our city continues to focus on small business recovery. As you can imagine, it's budget season, and so our mayor, commissioners, and city leadership are putting together that budget with workshops and trim hearings, and that budget debuts on October 1st. And finally, we're working closely with Mayor Lago on the issue of litter in the city of Coral Gables. As you can probably surmise, we're not touching things. We're not picking things up. We've been told by Dr. Fauci and others, don't touch anything right now. Wear your mask, wear gloves, wear a shield. Don't touch anything that is foreign to you. And so we've seen a little bit of a litter problem. So let's take care of business, ladies and gentlemen. Clean in front of our stores and shops, in front of our businesses. Pick up that trash, even if you have to wash your hands immediately after. We want to have a pristine Coral Gables. After all, we are the city beautiful. Now it's my pleasure to bring to you an exciting podcast guest, Scott Jeffrey Miller. I think many of you know Scott from his time with us before when he worked with us in our book club, but we've packaged his presentation today that we did at Books and Books as he talks about master mentors, 30 people that he has connected with, admired, personally interviewed, or has been mentored by. And I can tell you, you are in for a great treat. And this is the first and probably a series of Master Mentor books that he is going to uh, to launch. Um, as you will see, Scott is incredibly engaging, personable, and we have loved every opportunity we have had to work with him. And um, you know, he has walked in the footsteps of giants, and as master mentors to him and others, you can hear their story now with Scott Jeffrey Miller, author of Master Mentors. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, brother. Uh, we are an intimate group, so I'm going to sit down. Is that all right? I typically can stand and pace, but I think this is an intimate group. You know, what I love about coming down here is uh, Mark and the team and Mitchell are such great hosts. And I just took a picture of the five of us. Because there are many occasions when I'll come off an audience of 7,000 people. And the next day I'll go to a conference and there won't be a single person in my breakout session. And I post them all on social media. Because you never know when you're going to have a standing room only audience. You're going to have absolutely you know, no one show up. But I think I'm delighted for the four of you that felt safe and comfortable coming. I'm going to take my mask off. I'm fully vaccinated. I'm from Utah where there is no COVID. I'm kidding. That was a joke, ladies. Plenty of COVID out there, but I'm fully vaccinated. I'm going to be far from you, so I think we're going to have a good conversation. Uh, a little bit about me, so you have some context for the book. So I was actually born and raised in Winter Park, Florida. I went to Rollins College, worked for the Disney Company for four years. And then I went uh, to Utah on a business trip and discovered that there was no humidity in Utah. And I moved there 26 years ago. <laughs> and so it's delightful to come back, but I'm excited to get back also to the mountains where there's no humidity, where I've worked for the Franklin Covey Company for 25 years. As Mark mentioned, Dr. Stephen R. Covey, the author of the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is our founder. I was the chief marketing officer for 10 years in the firm. And about three years ago, I decided to launch this podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller, because we are the world's largest leadership company. I thought that I would start interviewing some of our authors. We've sold close to 50 million copies of all of our leadership books. I launched this podcast and quickly became a, a, a platform, a spotlight for not just our thought leaders, but for other authors, other celebrities, other 
luminaries and researchers. And over the course of the last three years, it's become the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, hitting now just south of 7 million people every week. So it's become this juggernaut just by having like a metronome, kind of every week, the same thing, different guests, never missing a week. It's both video and audio. People like Doris Kearns Goodwin, the Pulitzer Prize winning historian. She's amazing. Generally, General Stanley McChrystal, right, who led the uh, politically directed invasion of Afghanistan over 20 years ago. And Seth Godin and Dan Pink and Liz Wiseman, Nancy Duarte and Nellie Galan. Some of you may know Nellie Galan as a Cuban-American um, entrepreneur. Long story short, about 150 episodes in over 150 weeks, I realized something. I said, wow, I have had remarkably unique access to some of the biggest names in the world. And I'm really an aggregator. I'm a pollinator. My job in many ways, like a mini Larry King, is to interview people and pull out their nuggets of wisdom and share it with a large audience. In fact, Larry King offered to write the forward to this book. He passed before he had it done. So we didn't get it in, which is just fine because uh, he had an amazing life and what a great mentor to me and to others as well. What keeps dropping are these card decks. So whenever I write a book, I also create a companion card deck. That's kind of a mini on the go book. We'll talk about the cards here in just a minute. So the genesis of the book was the podcast that still goes strong. Uh, Matthew McConaughey showed up. Will Smith is coming in a few weeks. Sanjay Gupta, the medical director, doctor from CNN. Bill Gates is coming. So it's like, it's kind of now become this leadership podcast where they kind of come to us first, which is very exciting. Love to have you subscribe. Long story short, I decided to write the book because there were so many things that were said off the air that happened in the metaphorical green room that happened, you know, and the car ride over that happened, perhaps me at their home. So the book really is a collection of 30 of our first 150 guests. By the way, I have a 10 volume contract with HarperCollins to have the next 30 and then the next 30, next 30. So it'll be 10 books in the Master Mentor Series, all similar format, 30 transformative insights from 30 mentors. Each chapter you can see is very fast, very breezy. I do not write books that have empirical longitudinal charts. I don't write books that are well-researched. I like books that are experience-based, that are fast and breezy and easy to read. You can pick up and read a chapter 17 before chapter one and not a problem. Mainly because most authors write books because their publisher said, you'll, read, you'll need 50,000 words in your book. And most authors have between 30 and 35,000 words, which is why most of us have never finished the last half of a business book because the last half they kind of phone in to meet the word count. Well, be gone with that. I write books and I stop when I'm done. So what I'd like to do today, if you turn over your book, you'll see very quickly the names of the 30 people I chose to feature and what was the transformational insight that I chose to highlight. And again, in some cases, not what they said on the interview. It might've been something they said afterwards. I said, oh my gosh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Now, each of these mentors agreed to collaborate. They approved their chapter. So there's no, you know, there's no dirty laundry, so to speak, in the book at all. Uh, it's, a very, it's a coalition of the willing, I might say. What I'd like to do today is maybe have you put the book down and take out the card deck because the card deck is a really easy way to navigate the book. You'll notice that the card deck is like a traditional playing card deck. There's no game involved. And you'll notice that the picture of the mentor is on the cover, the first card, as is his or her number. And their transformational insight on the back of the card is kind of a recap of the big idea, a question perhaps for you to ask yourself. And you'll notice there's a QR code there. 
That, that QR code takes you right to their podcast episode immediately, both in video or in audio. So if you're interested in someone, you can just scan with your phone and bam, it'll go right to their podcast episode. But in many ways, the card deck is kind of a portable mini book. None of the stories, not the big ideas, just kind of the key concept. What I thought I would do in the next maybe 20 minutes or so is just share some insights on maybe five or six of them. If you have any questions on that, you're welcome to ask. Well, you also can pick someone that perhaps you know about or don't know about, and um, I could go deeper into them. Let me start with master mentor number one. Many of you may have heard of this gentleman. His name is Nick Vujic. He is Australian by birth. He's Texan by choice. He was born with no limbs, no arms, and no legs. He has a torso from basically his groin up to his head, has no arms and no legs. He is a world-renowned keynote speaker, author, inspirational speaker, um, an evangelist. He's a very religious person. He tried to take his life early in life to relieve his parents from the burden of raising a child with no arms and no legs. And Nick was on our podcast. And uh, prior to him coming out, he came to my home. My wife and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. And we have monthly dinner parties outside. And every month we invite a different luminary to come over. Some major celebrity, sports player, actor. And uh, we invite about 15 of our local friends to come. Different, different business people, educators, stay-at-home dads, and each, and each month we kind of mix up the group, but we invite someone significant to come. We had Ambassador John Huntsman, who was, of course, the ambassador to China and Russia. Post Malone is coming. Ty Burrell from Modern Family is coming. And every month we have a different guest. Nick Vujicic was our first guest. So I'm sitting in my home in Salt Lake City, Utah, about an hour before the dinner party. Nick, who is tended to by a man named Giovanni, who cares to takes care of all of his needs. Because again, Nick has no arms and no legs. He can't brush his own teeth. He can't scratch his forehead. He can't use the restroom. He can't dress himself. He can do lots of things mentally, but he can't do much physically. Nick's sitting across the sofa from me. I'm having a conversation with him. I notice him scratching his forehead on my sofa like a cat because he had an itch on his forehead. And we don't have hands. You can't scratch your head. I noticed him scratching his forehead on my custom purple Velvet sofa. Lo love you, Nick. And I looked at him and I looked down and I was holding a glass of water in my hand. And for the first time in my life at the age of 50, I discovered gratitude. Because I looked down, I don't even remember picking up the water. I clearly was thirsty and I, and I reflexively, unconsciously, obviously must have bent over on the coffee table, picked up a glass of water. Nick has to ask for a glass of water. And I looked at him and I just thought, oh my gosh, Nick cannot pick up a glass of water. You're thinking, duh. But at the first moment of my life, a life that's been full of privilege, privilege I've been given, privilege I've earned, some privilege I didn't earn, I just had this overwhelming transformation of being grateful. An hour later, we're in the backyard. 15 people, it's a long table, catered dinner party. It was like barbecue. It wasn't like, you know, calling Cowie catered. It was like barbecue. And I'm standing up and I'm watching Nick sit in his chair. Now he has a torso that ends just beneath his groin. So he has to balance himself at all times. Can you imagine his core muscles, right? He has to balance himself. And I'm watching him speak to the guests. I look down and I'm holding a piece of key lime pie. And I have the tip of the key lime pie on my fork. And I look down and once again, I don't remember ever even picking up the key lime pie. And here I am feeding myself, recognizing Nick can't even do this. Now, maybe you had to be there. But the big insight was, I think, 
like Nick, who only looks forward, never looks back. He's grateful for all that he has. He's grateful for the books he was able to write. He has, by the way, is a small foot-like appendage, more like a chicken wing, kind of attached to his waist with a couple of toes on it. That's how he's able to text. We have texting competitions who can test. He has like literally kind of three toe ishes on this sort of foot-like thing on his waist. You should Google this man. He's amazing. Here was the big insight. The co-founder of Franklin Covey is a man named Hiram Smith. And he once said something I thought was profound. He said, the most grateful people in the world are those that live their life through the lens, not of I have to, or I ought to, but rather I get to. And that night I was looking at Nick thinking, you know, in my world, I have three young sons with my wife, Stephanie. Our sons are seven, nine, and 11. I don't recommend that. <laughs> three boys in five years all have my personality. And inevitably in January in Salt Lake City, when it's zero degrees out at 8 p.m. and the driveway is iced over, I have to take the garbage out. And I don't love doing that on Sunday night at 8 p.m. in zero degree weather, slipping, like sliding to the garbage cans five yards away. And I remember thinking, you know what? Nick Vujicic would love to get a chance to take the garbage out. And so I'm really living my life every day from no longer I have to or I ought to, but rather I get to take the garbage out. I get to open it up and take a whiff of my dog's feces because my son was too lazy to tie the bag after the walk. I get to tie it up. I get to walk down the stairs. I get to walk out and slip and slide out to the garbage cans. I get to then navigate them down the 80 yard driveway because it's garbage morning next morning. And it has transformed my life to realize I get to fly to Miami tonight. I get to board a plane and fly six hours back to Salt Lake City, probably in a coach middle seat. And it really has transformed my life. And so my, my first offering back to you is to live your life with a spirit of gratitude. I get to pay a fifth of my visa bill because it's all I have. I get to eat top ramen tonight because it's that or nothing. And although I'm not eating top ramen tonight and I'm fortunate to be able to pay my entire visa bill, haven't checked it today. My wife's probably done some damage at Nordstrom. That's one of her many specialties. But I think it's, if you read the chapter in the book, I think it's transformative to just think about how do all of us become more grateful for all the things we do have and focus less on the things that we don't. Um, master mentor number four. Scott, can I just ask you, how did you meet? Um, like everyone I meet, I just ask. I just reach out. I just pick up the phone. I pick up the email and I just email you and say, Matthew McConaughey, I'd like to interview you. In many cases, Drew Young, who's my business partner, will reach out for me. He's got a remarkably disarming personality. And everyone says yes to Drew because he's so kind and charming and honest and trustworthy. So I've learned in life, people can't help you if you don't ask. So I have very little fear. All they can say is no. And the bigger your podcast gets, gets the more difficult it is to say no, right? So I'm pretty fearless. I'll talk about that in a moment, but I just ask. Susan David, master mentor number four. She's a very famous Harvard medical school psychologist. She wrote a very famous book called Emotional Agility. I highly recommend the book. The big insight here that I took from her is um, understanding the difference between your emotions, your feelings, and your opinions and facts. 
Facts are facts and your emotions and your opinions and your feelings are just those. And that both are valuable, but your emotions and opinions are not facts. And that I don't know about you, but in my marriage, as a parent, as an entrepreneur, as an executive officer in a public company, I have often confused my emotions, my opinions, and my feelings as facts. And the more I'm invested in them, the more I portray them as facts, the more I portray everything I say as truth, whether it be raising my voice or standing up in a room or having a more domineering pose, right? To get what I want, I often have confused facts with my feelings. And what, I, what I've done often wrong in my marriage, maybe you've done this too, is I'll often want to make sure that I win an argument with my wife. It could be what hotel we're going to stay in in Hawaii. It could be what we're going to have for dinner tomorrow night. It could be convincing her that I need to buy a new car. And I'll role play that argument on the way home without her. Ever done that? Have you ever been prepared for a high stakes meeting and you've had both sides of that conversation in your car or in the shower or in your office as you're preparing for a conversation? Well, I'm going to say this and then they're going to say that. So I'm going to say this and they're going to say that. And then I'm going to crush them with this. Ever done that? (laughs) It's good to be prepared. But it probably is not good to always role play every conversation because sometimes you've won the argument before you've even started. But my wife will tell you, it's impossible to win an argument with Scott Miller because I have spent so much time preparing for what every one of your responses could be so I can get what I want eventually. And it could be a negotiating tactic that's probably good. It's probably a pretty bad relationship tactic. And one of the things that Dr. David taught me was make sure that you're not presupposing what someone else's position is, that you don't know for a fact how they're going to respond, especially in marriage and relationships where trust is everything. And the big idea here is just making sure that as a leader, as a colleague, as a partner, as a friend, as a neighbor, that you validate your own feelings, opinions, and emotions, but don't misconstrue them as facts. Facts are facts. And your feelings are your feelings. And sometimes you operate on your opinions, don't you? And sometimes you need to operate on facts. Now, the tagline of the book is 30 Transformational Insights. And some of you might think that I'm just repeating things you already know. That's true. But what I've learned is most authors write the book that they need to read. And I found that this book, which is very episodic, I talk about brain health from a neuroscientist, Dr. Daniel Amen. I talk about emotional agility, gratitude, vulnerability. It's very episodic, purposefully, because I believe that one or two or three or nine of these chapters will hit everybody exactly where they are. Coming off a divorce, coming off the loss of a loved one, just gotten married, just gotten pregnant. Kids are now in college, empty nester, had a bankruptcy, had an inheritance. Whatever your situation is, I think some of these insights will hit the reader exactly where they are. Dan Pink, many of you may know as the famous author, right? Uh, Many books, including Drive and most recently, When. It's a good friend of mine. I'm embarrassed to admit, I was 50 years old until I realized this thing existed called your circadian cycle, which is your natural body's rhythm. rhythm. And that you have, each of us have what he calls a peak, a trough, and a valley. This is like a duh statement, right? But I didn't know how to name it. And Dan Pink helped to name it for me. All of us have a peak. We have a trough, we have a valley during our day. And after interviewing Dan, I realized, you know, my peak is 4 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. 
I get up early in the morning. I write a column for Inc. Magazine from four to five, write my books from about five to seven. I'm a dad from seven to eight. I'm an entrepreneur and a leader from like eight to six. I'm a dad again and a husband from six to eight. I do some more work from about eight to nine and I collapse horizontal. I'm asleep by 9.30. Every night, 9.30 to 4 a.m. This is my routine, seven days a week. That's my routine. But I get seven hours of sleep every night because I have to. But my peak is 4 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. So if you report to me, you want to have your one-on-one at 9 a.m., not 3 p.m. But I realized I was coaching someone recently. This is a high-performance um, wellness expert who will become a celebrity in the coming years. And I was coaching him at 6 p.m. every day. And he wasn't getting my best. I had worked 14 hours already. I'd worked 14 hours. And so I moved him to 6 a.m. because that's my peak. And I also had to realize that I had people reporting to me that their peak was like, you know, noon to six. And so what happens is they send me a barrage of emails at four o'clock every day. Do you think I'm focused on them? No, I'm coming out of my trough, barely into recovery. And so they need to align their peak to the boss. Or if I really care about them, I'll find some way to, you know, fit them into my schedule. The point is just very rudimentary, but for me, it was a transformational insight is to align my high stakes meetings in the morning, right? And to do the work that requires my best creative thinking. When the CFO wants to have a budget meeting at four o'clock, oh, hell no. We're having it at 930 because that's my best thinking. I try to do most of my interviews, my podcast, my TV interviews in the morning. By the way, in Dan Pink's book, he talks about the power of timing, the best time to have an operation first thing in the morning. Best time to appear before the parole board. Never. But if you have to, you want the first meeting. There's a lot of science behind timing in our lives. I just leave you with, you know, have you ever thought about what is your peak? What is your trough? And what is your recovery? And you probably shouldn't make high stakes decisions during your trough. My trough is noon right now. This is my trough. I know I'm naturally high energy. This is a true statement. This is true. But I've been here for a few days. But you get the point. I do think there's some wisdom and really kind of thinking about what is my trough? What is my recovery? What is my peak? And making sure you're doing the right work at the right time during the day, including relationships. Let me talk about Karen Dillon. A couple more. Is that all right? Karen Dillon is not a household name, but she's the actual former editor of the Harvard Business Review. Not too shabby. She co-authored a book with the famed... Uh, uh, management expert Clayton Christensen called How Will You Measure Your Life? It's in this book. I highly recommend this book, How Will You Measure Your Life? They basically take proven business principles and help you apply them in your personal life. The big transformational insight here was a Harvard business professor did some research that said that, listen carefully to this, 93% of all organizations that achieve success financially do so with an emergent strategy, not the deliberate strategy they set out with. 93% of the time, organizations that achieve financial success do so by changing their mind, by being open to be influenced by other, by pivoting. Only 7% of the time do companies that achieve success do so with the founder or the CEO's original idea. And to me, this is really about understanding the difference between a deliberate strategy and an emergent strategy is do you have the humility to change your mind? Right now in your life, whether you're a CEO or entrepreneur, whether you're not, whether you're a stay-at-home parent or you're retired or you're figuring out your transition in life, 
Are you more concerned with what is right than being right? That's heavy. I don't know about you, but I enter most conversations more concerned with being right than what is right. And this has transformed my relationships and operating style. Is that when I come into a conversation, I ask myself, is my ego so attached to this idea that I am willing to like go down on it? I'm willing to take funds and defund something else or because it was my idea and I'm too far into it, it's too embarrassing to pull back. And the insight here for me was, I'm now like never so invested in something that I'm not willing to say, Mark, this isn't going so well. Whose idea was this? Oh, wait, it was mine. Mark, what are you thinking and seeing and feeling? What do you think we should do? Am I humble enough, confident enough to seek other people's feedback on what might have been my idea that's not working? 93% of the time. Only 7% of the time, quote, our original launch strategy product channel is the one that actually achieves a success. It's an immersion strategy. It's being humble enough to be influenced by others. And not just your bank or your funder or your most vocal member, but it might be a junior person in your staff. It might be someone that has perceived stature much less than you that is more closely connected, that doesn't have the ego you have because they're not in front of the public eye. They're not on the podcast. They're not the CEO. It might be somebody else when you least suspect it. Ann Chow, number seven, she is the CEO of AT&T Business. She is the first ever non-Caucasian female CEO at AT&T in their 140-year history. She co-wrote a book called The Leader's Guide to Unconscious Bias. Now, you can see by her picture, Anne is not Caucasian. She's actually Asian-American. She's American, born here in the U.S., but her parents are from Taiwan. And the story that I share in the book is, over the course of Anne's life, she's had countless thousands of people say, Ann, where are you from? What they really want to know is, what's your race? What's your ethnicity? Because you don't look like other people here in Ohio. Where are you from? Because you don't fit here. You don't belong here. And I'm trying to figure out how you got here and why you are here. Now, Anne is like a Juilliard trained pianist. She has a master's degree from Cornell. She is the first ever non-male, non-Caucasian CEO in AT&T's 140 plus history. So here's how it goes. Someone says, Anne, where are you from? She's like, oh, I'm from Texas. No, no, where are you? Where are you really from? Oh, I'm really from Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl. No, no, where are you really from? Oh, you mean where was I born? Oh, I was born in the Midwest. Now she knows exactly what they're doing. They're trying to figure out who are you really? Are you, are you Chinese? Are you Japanese? Are you Korean? Are you Thai? What are you? Well, I'm a human. She, but the point is she shares this exchange that she's gone through countless times in her life. What they really want to know is her race because they can't figure it out. The insight that I share in the book is... What's your motive when you ask other people questions? What's your real motive? And how do you intend to use that information? Against them, for them, for some other cause. I came in two days ago to Miami airport. A lady picked us up in her Uber. Uh, she was uh, Latina. English was not her first language. And the first question I asked her was, I thought craftily, what is your heritage? Thinking that that would be like non-offensive. She didn't understand the word heritage. She spoke great English, but I had to, I had to finally just say, what country were you born in? Because we, got, we kind of established some rapport. It was actually Cuba. 
we had a great conversation. But during that conversation, this haunted me. Like, why am I asking her? What do I really need to know? What's the purpose? What does it matter? Bit of a hypocrite. The big idea here is, what's your motive when you ask other people questions? Why do you really need to know? And how, are you, how do you intend to use that information? Let me share a couple more. General McChrystal in the news right now, four-star general, you may recall he was fired by President Obama due to some inappropriate things that were said and written by he and members of his chain of command in Esquire magazine. He was the four-star general that led America's initial intervention war in Afghanistan. Four-star general. He wrote a book, and in the book he talked about how he was always a fan of Robert E. Lee. He went to Robert E. Lee High School. He lived in Lee Barracks at West Point. He was always a massive fan. Robert E. Lee was his idol, not necessarily because Robert E. Lee's position on slavery or the war. You may know the history. President Lincoln actually asked Robert E. Lee to lead the Union troops, right? It was not Grant. It was Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee was not for or against slavery, per se. He was a very accomplished military general. And so all of General McChrystal's life, he idolized Robert E. Lee. And then about five or six years ago, way before the Black Lives Matter movement and the killing of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and others, there was a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he lives. And there was some neo-Nazi groups that, you know, if you remember, they, they killed an anti-protester and it was just a massacre. And for 25 years, Robert, or General McChrystal had a picture of Robert E. Lee hanging on his wall. 25 years. It was a gift from his wife. And as they moved around the world, it always hung in their living room. And the wife told him, I think you should take that down because people might get the wrong impression. They might think that you're a supporter. Because at that point, there was a rally in Virginia about taking down a Robert E. Lee statue. And he's like, I can't take it down because this was a gift from you. And it isn't, it's not about that. It's about this. And after, and after several months of his wife kind of working on him, one Sunday evening, he walked over, took the picture down, walked to the garbage can and threw it out. Years before Black Lives Matter. And I'm not here to, to, to vet or venerate or, or, or raise or lower General McChrystal, but the story to me, the transmissional insight was being on the right side of history. Had he taken it down after Black Lives Matter, it might've been more convenient. I don't have all the facts. He'd, he'd become friends. But the fact of the matter is he was on the right side of history, maybe a year late for some of you, maybe a year early for others of you. But I ask you, and in the book, I just share, are you on the right side of history? Whether it be with masking, whether it be vaccinating, whether it be with voting, whether it be with politics or minimum wage, whatever it is, right? Social justice. Are you on the right side of history on where your opinions are? Had a big impact on me. Let me share one or two more. What's our time like? I'd be happy to. Yeah, I'm going I'm to, what time is it? 12.48? I'll share one more. How's that? Let's talk about Kim Scott, master mentor number 11. Kim Scott, you may know, she wrote a very famous book called Radical Candor. She's a former executive at Google. And one day she was in the Google office, the Google executive suite with Eric Schmidt, who was the CEO of Google, one of the two co-founders and a woman named Sheryl Sandberg who now, you know, of course, is the COO of Facebook. And Kim Scott had been a very famous venture capitalist in Silicon Valley for years. And she was with the CEO of Google and the 
one of the founding presidents, and she was giving a speech about her business unit. At the end of the speech, Sheryl Sandberg took her out and said, come back to my office. And Cheryl said, how did that go? Kim said, I think it went well. And Kim said, Cheryl, do you realize that every third word you spoke was like? I was like, she was like, he was like, an um or uh, an uh? Kim said, yeah, yeah, it's a verbal tick, it's not a problem. And Kim said, no, no. Cheryl said, no, you sounded like an idiot. And Kim did this. And she said, and by the way, you had this like dismissive gesture with your hand that you just dismissed stuff. Cheryl Sandberg tells Kim Scott this. And Kim Scott said, you know, I could have been offended that my boss said I sounded like an idiot. But she said it was the first time in my career that any leader had ever had the guts to metaphorically tell me I had spinach in my teeth. Metaphorically. And Kim said, Kim said, that's radical candor. This was a boss that loved me enough in private to tell me that I sounded like an idiot in front of the CEO because I was using the terms uh and um and you know, and he goes and she goes and he's like and I'm like and you're like. And Cheryl Sandberg was offering her a speech coach and to help her get rid of this, 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 this reflexive gesture that she does to dismiss people. Because the opposite of radical candor is ruinous empathy, where you lack the courage to give feedback to someone about their blind spots. I think it's a leader's greatest gift to your people is to have the courage and the diplomacy to sit someone down and have a radical conversation with them about their blind spots. It might be their personal hygiene. It might be their diction. It might be their punctuality or their inability to take responsibility for their actions, whatever it is, but to have the radical candor to have that conversation. And about 22 other insights that I share from broad people across lots of different industries as well. Let me stop there. Um, you're welcome to keep the card deck and the book. The book is fast, easy, and breezy. You can read a chapter in five or six minutes. There's 10 more volumes coming out. I'm just going to keep picking 30 new guests on the podcast and sharing insights. Um, I've already um, started almost close to finishing volume two. Matthew McConaughey is in it. Uh, Jen Sincero, she wrote the book called You Are a Badass, the whole badass series. John Maxwell is in it, the major leadership author. So let me stop there. You're welcome to ask any questions on what I talked about or any of the other mentors that are in the card deck. Please. Sure. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yes. Yes. Yes, 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 and yes. My first yes is I want to be a platform, a spotlight for these authors to have you go read a small chapter about them and perhaps go buy their book and learn more. But let me tell you the biggest insight I've had from Dr. Stephen R. Covey. If you look at these big ocean liners, they have oftentimes rudders that are 12 stories high. Like literally the rudder of an ocean liner is as deep as the ship is high. 
12-story rudder. So you know a rudder is. And then above the rudder will be like a three or four-foot smaller rudder. And it really is the small rudder that changes the big rudder. It's sometimes the small trim tab adjustments we change, we make in our life. It's sometimes the smallest changes that can have the biggest impact. Here's a great example. One of the mentors is a woman named MJ Fiev. She's a Haitian-American, lives here in this area. She's been at these, these sessions before. And she really is one of the most effective people I've ever met. And she knows the difference between being effective and being efficient. Dr. Covey wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. 30 million copies. As the former CMO, I was often interviewed by the press and they would call it the seven habits of highly efficient people. No, the book was the seven habits of highly effective people. There's a difference between effectiveness and efficiency. One's not better than the other. They're just different. You probably can tell I'm a very efficient person. I'm a very productive person. I get up at 4 a.m. And I, and I, on Saturdays, I'm that neighbor that mows the lawn by five and rakes it by six and watches the cars by seven and plows the flowers planted by eight. I'm ready to start my day by nine. And that efficiency has worked very well for me in my life, except when I move it into my relationships, because you cannot be efficient with people. You can only be effective. Dr. Covey said with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. To answer your question, I think the best way to consume this book is perhaps one chapter a day for 30 days or look through the key chapter titles and say which one of these might have the biggest impact on me. It could be the small trim tab, the small rudder that changes the big rudder. I think trying to tackle 30 books is probably too much. In fact, most of us won't read 30 books in a year. Most of these books are quite significant. My hope was to glean from them some transformational insights in the hopes that one or two or three might hit someone really deep. And then you might go choose to read three books as opposed to none of them as well. I think if you just took the cards and you just practiced one a day for 30 days, it'd be pretty transformative. Other... Yes. Yes. Damn it. Yes. Brian Gra Brian Grazier. Yes. The question that Mark asked was, is there an elusive guest that I've been trying to court for a while that's yet to not accept my invitation? Yes. His name is Brian Grazier, and he's a very famous Hollywood producer. He's a partner with Ron Howard and, and you know, Imagine Entertainment. That's kind of the crazy hair. He wrote a book called A Curious Mind, and he, he's, he's passionate, obviously, about curiosity but I can share a very brief story. In his book, A Curious Mind, he once was considering opting a script for a major motion picture that was a science, science fiction film. So he convinced the famous um, scientist, Isaac Asimov, kind of the, you know, the, yes, he convinced Isaac Asimov to go to lunch with him. Isaac Asimov passed away a few years ago, kind of the Einstein of our generation. They go to, I think it was like the Ritz in New York or some place to have tea, and Isaac Asimov's wife, his then wife, I think he had many, not at the same time, but they sit down and Brian Grazier finally has this interview with Isaac Asimov. Ten minutes into the interview, the wife stands up and says, this interview is over. Clearly, by the shallowness of your questions, you have not properly researched my husband's work. This is over. And he, she, and Isaac Asimov stand up and walk out a meeting with Brian Grazier, one of the most famous producers in history. And Brian says, you know, she was right. I hadn't. 
had not done the proper due diligence and research to fully understand the magnanimity of his research. I was asking shallow questions. And for me, it was just an amazing example from Brian Grazier about the role of curiosity and respecting people by asking the right questions and also knowing what is your motive. So Brian Grazier, see you soon. <laughs> yeah, that's true, really. Wow. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. One of the guests here is just mentioning that he used to work for Brian Grazier. Okay, I know our time is ending. Are there another question at all? Please. Excellent. Yes, now unfortunately. Well, so you know, as with as with all big podcasts, we tend to be booked four or five months out. Right. And we now I receive somewhere between 20 and 30 books a week from publishers and publicists and agents wanting to interview their people. So uh, unfortunately, we are our standard is raising and raising and raising. Right. Because as the as the audience becomes in the millions and it's a global audience, we're trying to make sure that we provide a platform to a broad array of people. Most of my first guests were white men. And shame on me. And I saw the light early on and tried to provide a, an appropriate platform for just uh, genius people that have genius to offer that I think can um reach a lot of people. To answer your question, you can email me at um, uh, Scott Jeffrey Miller. Scott at scottjeffreymiller.com. We have a committee that helps to vet in our group. Uh, we don't have to have you be a celebrity. You don't have to be famous. We have some people on that did some amazing things. We've had people on that have had amazing things done to them. Or finally, Elizabeth Smart was on. We had one of the two lone survivors of the Pakistani airline jet crash. A year ago, the plane fell out of the sky, broke apart. He was strapped to his seat. The seat hit a roof of a home, slid down, landed on the back of a car trunk, and that was occupied by two people, and they helped to save him. No one's ever heard of this man, Zafar Zamud. He was one of two people who survived a plane breaking apart in the air. Everyone else died but he and one other passenger. And listening to him is quite remarkable. What do you do the next day? How do you live your life differently the next day when you have survived a plane crash in the air? So you don't have to be a celebrity or an icon. You have to have something remarkable that meets the interest of our audience. Thank you, everybody. Our time is up. Delighted to be here. Stay safe. Uh, such an honor to be back at Books and Books. Thank you, Mark, again for the invitation to sponsoring today. I appreciate it. Well, as advertised, ladies and gentlemen, Scott Jeffrey Miller, amazing. I hope all of you will have an opportunity to buy his book, Master Mentors. You can get it at Books and Books right here in the city beautiful. But most importantly, an opportunity to engage around topics of leadership. He runs the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, mentored by the Franklin Covey Company, where Stephen Covey founded uh, his great work on, uh, on working with people and leadership. This subtitle is 30 Transformative Insights from Our Greatest Minds by Scott Jeffrey Miller. And we couldn't be more proud to work with him, our partners at Books and Books, and of course, our sponsors of our book club, which meets every month 
First Citizens Bank. I'm Mark Trowbridge. Thanks for joining us for TroBiz. I hope that you'll tune in for our next podcast or go back and visit our previous 11 and hear from the likes of Lee Schrager, Frankie Ruiz, Sarah Articona, Francesca Valdez, and our own Mitchell Kaplan. It's always a great and beautiful day in Coral Gables when we have an opportunity to talk to people we consider our master mentors at our chamber. On behalf of all of us here, thanks for tuning in to TroBiz.